You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Janine Pitson. And Tim Moser, your co-host. And it's been a wonderful morning with Tim and uh, all our guests. And we are just so grateful. We've been talking about the gift of music and our last two guests with their their honor of uh, winning the contest for the National Eucharistic Revival was really special. But now we're going to go into another guest. We're going to head back to Bismarck and to you, Mary, where so many great things are happening. Uh, we have Dr. Peter Kwasnowski on to join us. And, and Dr. K, we're going to say, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, we are just so excited to hear about a book that he has written. He's been a guest on Real Presence Radio before and mm-hmm. talked about the importance of of sacred liturgy, sacred music and liturgy. And now he has a book called Good Music, Sacred Music and Silence, Three Gifts of God for Liturgy and Life. Wow, Tim, being the musician you <laughs> are and all your participation in liturgy, well, I, I can certainly tell you all those things are wonderful for a, for a very good liturgy. The first word that comes is excellence, right? We, we are adoring our God, right? So everything should be excellent. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're not perfect. But excellent music, excellent music, and then silence. Sacred silence is also great. So I'm sure Dr. K is going to tell us all about that. Yeah, so welcome, uh, Dr. K. Um, Dr. K gave us permission to call him Dr. K as his <laughs> yes, student. good morning. Thank you. <laughs> but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and, and maybe say your full name for everyone so that we don't slaughter it anymore. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Korsnevsky. Korsnevsky. It's, it's, not, it's not an easy name like, like John Smith, but uh, anyway. Um, yeah, so I've, I've had a very long career in, I shouldn't even use the word career, a long experience of church music in my life. Um, I started off singing as a child in my parish choir. We did have a children's choir. Um, I graduated on to what you might call more charismatic styles of music, and then I discovered Gregorian chant in in college primarily. Um, I really fell in love with that, um, as different as it is, as beautiful as it is. Uh, and then I went on from there to start conducting choirs, and I've been basically doing—I've been conducting choirs in church, um, mostly with with chant and polyphony uh, for about thirty years now. Um, so I and I still sing every Sunday and every holy day or most holy days. So it's it's a really big part of my life and something that I'm passionate about. Well, we are just so grateful for the gifts that you're sharing, and uh, you know, not just with the people who are in attendance at the liturgy, but with your students who hopefully are inspired and then they start to give back in that same way. Uh, it's it's just a very glorious ministry that you're a part of, and I thank you for that. So, Thanks. Yeah, it, it's true, actually. my uh, I can tell you that my college students, I'm not teaching right now at Wyoming Catholic College, but I was there for 12 years. And uh, I always taught the, nearly always taught the music course that was required for all of the juniors for the whole year. Um, and I, I saw what I would really call musical conversions happening in that year. Um, I tried to open the, 
the ears and the minds of the students to to the great music of the Western tradition and also the great sacred music. And some of them have even written to me afterwards, years later, saying, I'm in charge of my parish choir now. You know, <laughs> I know more about music than anyone else around here, so they, they put me in charge. So that, that always, that's extremely gratifying for a teacher to hear. Absolutely. Dr. K, this is, this is Tim. See, two, kind of a twofold question for you here. So you told us about your experience and your background. I think that's great. I'm curious what led to your writing the book. What, what Was it your experience and interaction with these students? Because I'm guessing they probably came with, you know, a lot of popular music things, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Did you see the need to say, okay, wait a minute, let's really talk about this and, and, and look at it? Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, the book the book really comes from from the experience I described, as well as my study of, of magisterial documents from the Church on the subject of liturgy and music, which are, there are many of them, and they're remarkably clear and unanimous um, in what they say about what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. Um, unfortunately, they're mostly ignored, uh, and they have been for a while. Uh, and, and then just my, my own reflection on the subject over the years, um, working with working with uh, just hearing the reactions that people have to different kinds of music, um, why, they, why they love this or that kind of music. And I, I try to challenge people um, to examine themselves, almost like an examination of conscience. What is it that, what am I getting from this music, whether it's secular music or sacred music, religious music? Um, you know, what, what am I seeing in it? What is it? What is attracting me to it? Do I need to actually re-examine my assumptions and maybe change my habits? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm guessing, so let's take popular music, for instance. So I'm, I'm guessing, you, I think you've said that there's some real dangers in it. I'm guessing part of it is because we get drawn in probably on an emotional level, but not necessarily a spiritual level. Is, is that kind of an accurate description of a possibility? Yes, it's. I mean, it's a complicated question because there are so many dimensions yeah, to sure. music. For example, there is the the more obvious dimension of the lyrics in music, mm-hmm, sure. which you know many people have been aware of for a long time as a problem, and uh, and yet um, music is so emotionally powerful, as you said, that people are often swept away by the music without even thinking about what lyrics they're taking into their souls um, mm-hmm. and how that's shaping their perception of the world. And so, let me just give you an interesting example. Uh, scenario um a friend of mine another professor uh, you know he 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 was he likes to ask the students okay so what are you listening to these days he agrees with me about these things okay. uh, and so they they would they would tell him some names of songs and he would pull them up he'd pull up the lyrics on his phone and then he would just read the lyrics to them right take take it take the music away mm-hmm. you know and just read the lyrics and and most of the, you know the these college kids they would turn red in the face because these lyrics are I mean, for, they're either stupid or or shameful or disgusting or you know or just and and whatever they are and you know and so he he uses this method frequently to uh, to bring about a sort of awareness of you know maybe we should not be consuming this junk food you know for our souls. So, but then there's just I'll just mention briefly the the thing that I look at more than than even the lyrics in part one of my book is the. The way in which the music appeals to the passions or the feelings or the emotions, you could use any of these words, music just inherently does. Um, it, it reaches deep down into our emotional 
uh, condition as rational animals. Um, and it, it moves us in a sense, it kind of bypasses reason, it goes right to those emotions, um, and it stirs them up in one way or another. There's no such thing as, as emotionally neutral music. Mm-hmm. Um, or if there is, it's really bad music. It doesn't even you know, deserve to be called music. So if, if, if the music is stirring up what the tradition calls our concupiscible or irascible passions or appetites too much, that is the appetites that have to do with, with, um, with you know, sense goods, um, with, with ultimately with pleasure, um, with lust, you know, in their extreme version, uh, or with, with anger, um, you know, these, these kinds of emotions of lust and anger, they have to be kept in check um, for fallen human beings. And the music we listen to should not be constantly, um, shall we say, exciting them and, uh, and uh, you know, enhancing them, right? We don't need that. That's, that's just adding to the difficulty of our condition. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at the societal condition right now, um, you know, it's just such a battle of vice versus virtue. And, uh, and we really need to have that virtuous music that, um, you know, even in our secular music, it can be virtue. It can be, you know, um, you know, strong love between man and woman, you know, uh, but not one that is lustful, one that is, uh, you know, there's some good country songs out there that I know that are just kind of cool, you know, Um, you know, not following in love with your beautiful brown hair, and I don't care if it goes gray, that kind of thing. You know, there are these uh, beautiful lyrics that can um, encourage us to live lives of of virtue, even in a secular way. Yes, yes, right, and and you know it's it's I don't I think it would be I say it would be foolish for someone to to try to find the best kind of music and then only ever listen to that in every situation. So yeah. let's say you know the music by Johann Sebastian Bach is objectively the greatest music ever written, or at least it's you know it's a, it's a fair contender for that that claim. Um, that doesn't mean that you know at the local barn dance for the parish that you should be playing the Brandenburg Concertos, because <laughs> you can't dance to them. You can't have a barn dance to yeah. them. But that's concert music. It's meant to be, it's meant to be enjoyed in a different way than, than suitable dance music is enjoyed. Um, but with that barn dance, you know, what should we be performing there? Well, I think we should, if possible, we should have live music, as people did for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. That is still possible. It's hard now, because... People are so used to the convenience of recorded music. Um, but even if you're going to have recorded music, why, why put on, you know, Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber? Why not put on, you know, a Virginia reel or actually square dancing or like really, you know, learn real dances, English right. country dances. You know? right. <laughs> uh, these things are beautiful and they're fun. They're actually much more fun once people take that initial step of, of, of leaving what's familiar to them from the radio and actually throwing themselves into something which is culturally, you know, richer and enriching. Yeah, that that is beautiful. And your book brings so much awareness to that, which is is really cool. And and you and you talk about different genres, you know, and and that's really important for us to know too that we're not saying this is the only thing that's good. You can bring it across all genres, and and it really is a challenge to our listeners to you know, listen to good music and don't buy the stuff that's, you know, raunchy and bad because you're only yeah. encouraging more of that to be distributed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, exactly. I mean? you know it's, it's, it's interesting to me how, 
how how often people i mean you know we're in a world of woes right now in the modern world but uh, but you know people do often more easily recognize the danger of taking bad things in through your eyes um you know the most extreme example being pornography people you know christians catholics who are trying to be serious they can recognize oh this is really bad this you know this distorts um sexuality this uh introduces all kinds of vices and selfishness and whatever. And so they see that that's bad. You don't want to take that into your soul because it becomes part of your memory and your imagination, and it influences your whole way of perceiving the world. Well, music does the same thing. It just comes in through your ears. It comes in through your ears, into your soul, and it shapes you in a certain way. It's not the only influence um, on life, and that's important because, you know, that's why you can have, uh, if you have good friends, good family, good parish life, good prayer life, you know, a lot of those things could counterbalance somebody who had really bad taste in music, but, um, but it's still better to, to align as many things as possible with what is objectively um, well-crafted and beautiful in music. And that that is so key because music does have an effect on our mood, on our our demeanor, you know, so to speak. If you're feeling yeah. down, you can listen to good music, and you always have a better day after that. So yeah. it it does directly affect how we feel. So we have to take a quick break, uh, but on the other side of the break, we'll continue this conversation with Dr. Peter Kresniewski about um, his book, Good Music, Sacred Music, and Silence, Three Gifts of God for Liturgy and Life. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. God's blessings to all of you. My name is Father Chad Wilhelm, and I'm a priest of the Diocese of Fargo. And this year I celebrate 25 years of being a priest. And the joy, the great things that I love about the priesthood is the deep relationship that Jesus and I have as speaking heart to heart. He knows the depths of my heart, and He speaks to all of us in the depths of our heart. That's what I enjoy about being a priest, that I get to speak about Jesus, not just on Sundays, but every day of my life, and that I've given my life to Jesus and the Church. What a wonderful grace and a gift that has been for me for 25 years, and to serve the good people of the Diocese of Fargo, but just to serve the Church as a whole. May God continue to bless all of you as you listen to Real Presence Radio. At the University of Mary, we offer an education for the whole of life. Our values-based, flexible, and affordable education will prepare you for success and help you become a leader in your field. Whether you want to start your degree for the first time or continue your education, whether you are a working professional or want to pursue school full-time, join us for an education that will help you make a positive impact in our community. Discover the Mary difference. UMary.edu. That's UMary.edu. 
Your future, the future of your family, and the causes important to you are too precious to be left to chance. While no one can control the future completely, a little bit of certainty and predictability is good and healthy. Fortunately, Real Presence Radio has some practical methods to share with you to assist in establishing your will and estate plan. Please visit our plan-giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me, Mike Kidrowski, at 701-290-4503. It's a matter of just getting started. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Tim Moser, along with... And I'm Janine Bitson. Yeah, co-host today. We're talking with Dr. K about music, good music, sacred music, and silence. Dr. K, got a question for you. So just looking at the title, good music or great music and sacred music. Can you describe what they are and what the difference is? What's great music? What's sacred music? What's the difference? And are yes, they, yes. is there an overlap? Yes. So what, what I mean by good music is, as a phrase, is just music that is beautifully crafted according to the highest standards of the art form of music. Um, you know, we, when we look at architecture and paintings and poetry, we have standards that we can apply. We can ask, is this well Put together, is it symmetrical? Is it pleasing? Is it, uh, you know, is it competent, etc.? Um, and when we look at music, we can find the same kinds of of examples of greatness all around us. I mean, I talk a lot in my book about the great composers from from uh, Palestrina and Victoria Bird. We just celebrated his 400th anniversary. William Bird's on, on the Fourth of July of his death, um, and you know, and, and Bach, Handel, Vivaldi, Mozart, Haydn, Schubert, Beethoven. You know, all the way down to the present, Arvo Pertz and Goretzky, and some great modern composers that there are. The you know, the art of music is still alive and well, even though unfortunately a lot of people are not aware of that and they don't follow it. Um, and these are people who have mastered the craft. It's a real craft. They've mastered it, and what they have produced is profound, and it's, it expands the soul. It, it expands our horizons, um, and it, 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 it kind of reflects the grandeur and the, uh, of the human soul, which is created in the image of the infinite and eternal God. So it's really important for us, and I really emphasize this point, to elevate our taste and our consumption in music um, and not to just kind of settle for the commercially mass-produced lowest common denominator that we find on most radio stations. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's meant to, to give you a, a sort of jolt of emotional caffeine or whatever, <laughs> uh, but it's not, it's not great, and your soul is great. Our souls are worth more right. than, yeah. than this pop culture. So that's what I mean by good music and great music. Obviously, sacred music is a subset of yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's music that's written for a very particular purpose, namely to... <clears throat> to glorify God in worship and to edify and uplift the souls of the faithful who are present in worship. Um, that's how the Church defines sacred music. And so it has to have very special characteristics to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about the documents, and if I remember it, one of them says Gregorian chant should have pride of place in the liturgy. Is that right? And explain that a little bit, please. Yes, yes, indeed. That's what Vatican II mm-hmm. said. Um, in chapter six of Sacrosanctum Concilium, there's a there's, it's a wonderful chapter. It's very anybody who reads it nowadays will probably not believe what their eyes are seeing because it sounds very much uh, like 
you know, like what the traditionalists are saying, right? (laughs) There should be be chant and polyphony and pipe organ and, you know, and it says, uh, you know, the solemn mass is the, is the fullest form of liturgy because it's sung, you know, um, and a lot of people have never even really experienced a sung liturgy. What I, what I mean by that is a liturgy where they're not, where, where there isn't just singing of songs, but where the liturgy itself is being sung, right? Um, that's what Vatican II called for, you know, that is the, the kind of the gold standard there, and the music that is native to the Roman rite, that is the music that grew up with it, is Gregorian chant, you know? Um, chant wasn't added on later on, you know, by, by some clever people who said, <laughs> well, you know, we've been saying all these prayers for a while, maybe we should sing them. No, it's, they started off being sung, and the sung form of the prayers is what we call Gregorian chant. So chant isn't an extra, it's the liturgy itself in its sung form. Um, and that's, you know, when, when you experience it, uh, you know, as, as can be done if people, you know, look nowhere to go, um, you, you get a really strong sense of, of how, how it suits the liturgy like a hand in glove. This music just seems to, to, to float along with the words of the Mass in such a way that it makes prayer easier well, and that's so beautiful that you say that because, you know, as a lay person, you have different um, melodies that are brought in uh, into different parts of the Mass, and, and we do have our priests, you know, that are singing um, a, a large part uh, of the Mass as well now, uh, but mm-hmm. are you saying there should be only Gregorian chant in the liturgy? <laughs> well, I mean, at least what I'm saying is that there should be a lot more of it than there is right now. So I think we could very, we could, it would be almost impossible for us to overdo it at this point since it's being underdone. Sure. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, certainly the, in the history of the Church in the second millennium, um, you know, there was always, uh, well, I shouldn't say always, but over time there came to be more and more types of music that were used in addition to the chant, never to replace it. That's really right. important. And but I in think addition to it... I'm sorry, know, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but I think it's important for our listeners and the lay people as these changes are taking place, because as a lay person myself, I, I wasn't aware. You know, I didn't know that that was like how it was done in the beginning. And I think that's really special and really beautiful. Um, I've heard Gregorian chant. I love listening to it when I'm at home dusting or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just so beautiful. Um, But to know its place in history is so cool. Exactly. And and, uh, it's not, you know, there certainly is initially a steep learning curve with chant. You have to really invest time uh, into into learning it and doing it well. Uh, it has a somewhat different notation, um, four lines instead of five lines. It's got square notes instead of round notes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are some other differences like that. But it's actually a very intuitive musical system. It was the first musical system invented in the West, in the world, in fact. Uh, the reason we can write music now is because monks started writing down chant so many centuries mm-hmm. ago, and, and that notation evolved through the Renaissance into what we now consider to be modern musical notation, but it's a very intuitive system. It's not that difficult to learn. Children can learn it very, very easily because they don't have the same inhibitions and self-doubts that, <laughs> that, that grown-ups have. Um, I've seen it. I mean, my children learned it. Everybody learns it. And you can learn it also just by ear, by osmosis. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you have chant being sung in a parish church, say for the Kyrie or the Gloria, um, and, and the people are, they know that they're 
they should sing or they're allowed to sing, um, just a few months of repeating certain melodies, you'll hear the congregation singing those because they're, they are very singable and they were initially initially passed down for centuries by oral tradition, right? Mm. They're, they're melodies that were meant to be memorized and easily memorized, right? And they, and they, they work. That's beautiful, Dr. Kate. Kate, we have a little less than a minute left. Could you just tell us silence? Just give us the thumbnail sketch of what's beautiful and necessary for silence. Yes, well, the, the, I would just describe silence as the, the sort of the grand background against which everything else should play out. Our thoughts, our interior desires, our music um, should have a certain silence surrounding it so that it can have the full depth of its meaning, and we can understand that whatever we say and whatever we sing, um, you know, we have, to, that, we have to go even beyond that, and God is beyond that as well. So silence is just a part of, you might, might call it a healthy spiritual regimen. Mm, wonderful. Dr. Peter Krasniewski, thank you so much. Your book, Good Music, Sacred Music and Silence, Three Gifts of God for Liturgy in Life. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me on. All right, God bless you. God bless Wow. Well, the studio is still standing, Janine. You know, we, we, we didn't wreck anything, I don't think. So. Oh, I think it was fantastic. Thank <laughs> you so much. Uh, Miss Brad today, uh, Brad is going on an incredible mission trip uh, to, to Chimbote. Yeah, yeah so, with his son, uh, yeah, Joseph. Yeah, so it's so special, yeah. but how special it has been to be with you yeah. too. But now we have to go over on the other side of the gra- glass and get a preview for our next show. Coming up on the next Real Presence Live, Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central, Father Rich Kunst and Deacon John Foucault are your hosts, coming to you live from St. James in Duluth. They'll be speaking with Teresa Mull, author of a book that offers tips on how to normalize your life in a chaotic time. And a representative from Angel Studios will share about their hit movie, Sound of Freedom, which is now in theaters everywhere. All this and more is coming on the next Real Presence Live, Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Back to you. Well, thank you so much. I tell you, Tim, it's been a it's been a great morning, and I thank you so much for being here. Yeah. And all you do, all you do with your music ministry, with your pro life ministry, with the diocese, uh, just thank you. Well, I appreciate. It. Thanks so much. Again, it's, it's it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, and each of us saying yes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it beautiful. Rachel's gift of producing. Thanks so much. We appreciate. Mm-hmm. And thanks for all you do. The gift of raising a wonderful family. So I appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you. All um, right. Well, this is uh, all we have for today. It's been wonderful. Thanks for staying with us. And remember, until next time, be sure to practice your faith every day. God bless you. Amen. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live. Local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.